And I don't know if you've been in a, a relationships where you feel like, man, I have so much to offer. I'm giving myself away, and the person won't really receive it from you. Um, I remember our first Christmas here uh, in Salt Lake City. Mariah was three years old, and Ashlyn was one. And so I felt like, man, this was finally going to be the first year where they were going to get Christmas. You guys remember when you thought your kids were finally going to get Christmas? Okay, like who's the biggest kid when that's going to happen? Me, baby. I was so excited for Christmas that year. And I, 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 when we first moved here, my kids would get up so stinking early. It used to drive me nuts. I mean, 6 a.m., and I'd try to beat them, and then they'd get up at 5.45. I mean, they were driving me absolutely crazy. So on Christmas morning, is there any morning when you get up earlier than Christmas morning? I mean, you just can't wait. So I mean, I'm ready at the crack of dawn, and I'm up. My kids sleep in. The one day they sleep in is on Christmas Eve and I'm, or Christmas morning, and I'm sitting there waiting for them. And then I'll never forget, man, we, we went out, we shopped, we figured out all the greatest gifts for them. We laid them out. They came up. They were kind of excited, you know. They opened like two of them, and then they're done. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is Christmas. And I'm sitting there, and I've got all these great gifts. And you, if you, I don't know if you guys do it like this, but you give them the cheap one first, right? And then you kind of hang them on, and ooh, this one's really nice. And then by the end, you got the granddaddy of them all, and we didn't even get to that one. You know? I mean, I was so disappointed. And when I think about that, you guys, I wonder how God feels. Because as we looked at last week, through Easter, through Jesus Christ and what he's offered us, he says, now you are like spiritual millionaires. You have every spiritual blessing that you need. Our heavenly father knows how to give good gifts, is what the scriptures tell us, and he can't wait to lavish them on us. And that's kind of what that video was all about. He has so much more for us than we could ever ask or imagine or dream. And when he wants to fly us to Russia to watch the ballet, we would rather stay home and watch Dancing with the Stars. And so that's kind of what we're looking at here to say is, man, if God is offering us everything that you need for your life, and if you remember last week what we looked at, that means all the grace, the empowerment of God to do what you can't do with your life. It means peace in your heart and abundance. I mean, he says everything for life and for godliness, the ability to walk with him. The fruit of the Spirit you can share in the divine nature, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. He says that can be the fruit that actually comes out of your life and you can escape everything that is corrupting your life. You can escape the stuff that's eating away at your soul, that's causing the, the stuff that you don't want to happen, the stuff that's tearing away at your relationships, you can escape that. God is saying to you and to me that you could and should be living a rich and full and effective and productive life. I mean, he has got Christmas. See? The glory of God. And so I guess he really wants you to get this point. Um, he, what he's saying is I have got so much for you. And some of us who have received Jesus Christ into our life, it's like we opened the first gift and we got it and we thought that was it and we didn't understand that no, once you get Christ into your life, it's just the beginning. Now you open them up until the day you die and then you get the granddaddy of them all. But there should be gifts continuing to be opened. And so, and I just want to encourage those of you, if you're here today, 
Um, because when Peter wrote this letter, he started it off and he said, Peter, an apostle and a servant of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith as precious as ours. And so I just want to encourage you, um, when Peter wrote this letter, he was writing to those who have received Christ. And so if you're here today and you're not at that point where you feel like you've received the first gift of faith, if that's not a part of you, then I want to encourage you last week, this morning, for the next two months as we go through this, basically what you get to do is say, if I opened this gift, if I received it, what would that mean for me? And so I would just listen with those ears to look at what could happen if you give the gift of Christ, the gift of faith. But what, what I'm going to do today, because um, that's what Peter did, he said, I want to write to those of you, though, who say that you have. If you've received this gift, then I got something for you I want you to understand. And today, the title of the message is this. Last week, it's all who you know. And this week, it's give it all you've got. All right, so let's read the passage together. We're in 2 Peter chapter 1. And today we are starting with verse 5. Again, he says, as we went through last week, you got everything you need. You have all this stuff. And then he says in verse 5, for this very reason, for the reason that you are a spiritual millionaire, for the reason that the vault has been opened, the curtain's been torn, and you could have all of God, for that reason right there, make every effort. Give it all you got to add to your faith, because you received the faith. Now add to that goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Four, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whew, not much to talk about today. I'm telling you, man, I told Susie, go, I need two hours today. So you just, uh, we, we won't do that. I, but I am so, again, I told you last week, the message I feel like I gave last week was maybe the most important one I feel like I could ever give. And so I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, this is a series where you need to listen to last week's message. I never really usually say that, but uh, again, you can get the CD or you can uh, just put down our podcast. You can listen to it on our podcast. Um, we'll get on our website. But that was the foundational understanding for everything else that we're going to teach on today. And this is the second thing that we're going to build on. If you have this, let's go ahead and look at verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. To add to your faith. So in other words, you have been given a gift. Now what's interesting is, when you get the gift of faith, there's, there's two types of gifts that you can get, right? Sometimes you get a gift, and it's so precious, and it's so valuable, and all you want to do is you just set up on the shelf and, and just look at it, Right? I mean, there are gifts like that. You go, man, it's awesome. Don't touch that, right? You put it, you know, you got the kids safe home and you put it away so nobody will touch it. And then you have some gifts, though, that when you get them, they're supposed to be used. And if they don't get used, they're no good. 
Um, it's one of my darkest moments in my marriage uh, when Susie, because uh, I, you know, I led worship all the time back in, in Detroit. And I always used to say, man, if I could only play the guitar and lead, it'd be so much better. And so my sweet wife for, uh, for Christmas bought me a guitar. And not only a guitar, I mean, she went to this guy who's the top guy, uh, one of the top guys in Detroit, and she, she went after it and she said, hey, would you figure out what a great guitar would be for Dave? The guy got it specially made in Chicago. They put, you know, I mean, it was like, and, and um, she, she gave it to me and I opened it up and I saw the guitar and my face went, oh. And she could, don't you hate that when you can't control your face? You know, you just, you totally give your hand out. And, and she could tell, oh my gosh, he's not excited about this gift. And you know why I wasn't excited about it? Because I knew that would mean I'd have to play it. I would actually have to like practice. I would have to actually sit down. And I didn't know if I would be able to do that. Well, to take care of that, she actually bought me lessons too. So, um, so I went to the lessons and I trying to learn. I was horrible. I couldn't get my fingers. I'm like, how do those little kids do this? I can't even make it happen. And then two months later, Mar- Mariah was born. And it just totally flipped our life upside down. And I never actually really used the gift. I can do three chords. And, and it's just been one of the saddest things because we have this really beautiful guitar that sits there. And it was never a gift that was meant to sit there. Following me? You, if you're a follower of Christ, have received the gift of faith. And there's way too many of us that went, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to set that right there. And when I die, I'm going to heaven. And that'll be awesome. Now let me get on with my life. And what Jesus says is, no, you don't understand. This gift, once you receive it, is one that needs to be exercised or it doesn't actually do you any good. And so Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 is another passage where, because Peter says this, but Paul says this too. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence. Look at this. He says, there it is. Continue to work out your salvation Give it all you got. And with fear and trembling, for why? Because it, because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So now, again, this is so key. I'm gonna, oh, I'm going to be so broken record again today because we've got to capture this truth. What happens first? God works in you. He pours his grace in your life. He gives you this gift. As we talked about this all last week, it all starts with God. You don't muster it up. You, you just, he works in you. But once he's worked in you, this gift of salvation, what are you supposed to do? Well, I'm just supposed to you know, set it on the shelf. No, you are supposed to work it out. You are supposed to give it everything that you've got. You just engaged with God. Um, and so that's what we need to look at here. In this gear, as we, as we, we change the, 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 the graphic here a little bit, but again, this one on the left, if you, if you weren't here last week, we just put that in there as that is God who just, who's always moved. There, oh, that's much better. Thank you. So the gear that God is always moving. And then when we engage with him, our life actually starts to be what it's supposed to be. And so apart from him, the gear just sits there. One is always working, but the other gear is apart from him. And But when you engage with him, once God says, I'm doing a work in you and I'm going to give you the gift of faith, that first step of faith engages you with God. 
And then he says, okay, now work this thing out. What does he say? He says, add to it. Add to your faith. And then he goes through these seven things. The other way that that term could be yours is supply to your faith. You got faith. And a lot of you say, I have faith. Then what Jesus says is, okay, great. Now supply to it. Add to it. The word was actually used for a person back in the Greek culture. They used to have these huge musicals and huge plays. And there would be one person who would take all the resources to fund that play. That was the word. Supply it. Add to it. Make sure that it happens. And what the scriptures are telling us, what Peter is saying, is once you've got the gift, get it in. Add to it. Now, here's a really critical thing. Again, I'm going to say this. This is so key. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, So then, just as you received Christ into your life, right? That's how it started. Continue to live in him. Rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So one of the things we we look at this, if we say, oh man, I have everything I need. I have spiritual blessing beyond spiritual blessing. Okay, and why am I not experiencing this in my life? Okay, well, because maybe you received faith, but if you did, just as you received him, what does it say? Continue to live that same way. In other words, you know what God's going to do? He's going to keep pouring his grace into your life. It's not a one-time shot. God doesn't go, who need, uh, boom, hit you with some grace. You're like, whoa, I believe in Jesus. And then he goes, okay, good, got that one. Next. You know, that's not what he does. He goes, no, once I pour my grace into your life and you receive it by faith, now you're mine. Now I get to go in you and now you are in me. We're like this. And guess what? I'm going to do that for the rest of your life. I'm going to keep pouring grace into your life and I'm going to keep asking you to respond by faith. Keep doing that. That, you guys, is how you add these seven things which we're going to talk about for the next seven weeks. That's how you add these things into your life. You bring in what God is pouring in to you. And we'll explain that in these next seven weeks, how that happens. And here's the key. What you are doing, he says, add them to your faith. He doesn't say add them to your life. He says add them to your faith. And that's really critical because what we could do is say, you know what? I'd like to be a good person. You know, I'd like to have self-control. I'd like to have these things. And so you could, on your own, without God, work to add those to your life. When we were talking about this, we all sat there and we said, you know what? I'll be totally honest with you. I know followers of Christ who are much more self-controlled than a lot of Christians I know. I know a lot of people who are not, who would say they're not a Christian, who are better, who would, I think are good people, right? In fact, they're a lot gooder than a lot of Christians I've ever met. There are, so in other words, you can add these things to your life and become good, self-controlled, have perseverance, all that kind of stuff. Peter's not saying, I want this to add this to your life. I'm asking you to add these to your what? To your faith. In other words, what he's saying is, you need to add these into your knowledge and into your relationship with God. Because again, knowing God is what it's all about. And again, we talked about that last week, so I can't go into all that. All right? So, make every effort. Make every effort. See, and I, can I just challenge you? As a follower of Jesus Christ, when's the last time you could say, man, I have given it all I've got? 
Can you say that? Or can you say, man, I, I got up and I came to church. Take that. See, that's great. I'm glad you did that. I don't know if that's giving it all you got. I don't know if that's making every effort. And I'm going to use this verse right here, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And I'm going to use it three times today because it's cr- so critical. This is so key. Because we have to be really careful that we don't work and give it everything that we've got to gain God's favor or to gain his relationship. That's not what the Bible says. You actually make the effort because you have his favor. Can I say that again? You don't make the effort to gain his favor. You make the effort because you've got his favor. (laughs) Totally different. Listen to this verse. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is what? Not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a really good person and I'm going to work my way into God's favor and I'm going to get up to heaven. He's going to be like, man, you rock. I just tell you, that ain't going to happen, all right? Because there ain't anybody who's going to be completely holy and perfect. Well, I mean, when we get into God's presence, he is, it's going to blow us away. In fact, he says, that's when you're all going to fall on your face. Because I am so much more holy than you've ever dreamed. But look at verse 10. We are God's workmanship. And I love, I put the, the other verse, uh, uh, translation says, we are his masterpiece, which I love. Created in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, Right? I've now got him in my life, and I'm in his life. I'm in Christ Jesus, and I'm created to do good stuff. So, we make every effort to live out what he's worked in. He's worked in a salvation. Let him work it out. Man, you've got a gift. Play the puppy. Don't set it off in the corner. You have been given everything that you need for life. What are you doing with it? What Peter is saying is, man, it's yours now. Make every effort because you have it. All right? And I'm telling you, man, the crazy things that you will do. Let me, oh, I want to say so. Yes. Make every effort, real quick, is another word for zeal. It means earnestness. And this is so key, too, you guys. And the reason you make every effort, again, why? Because you love him. And why do you love him? Anybody want to tell me? Thank you. In fact, the Bible says that. He goes, the only reason we love, it's not because we love, no, it's because God loved us first. See, if you've never felt loved by God, you can't, you know, if you don't get it, you can't give it back. But, whoo, once you've got it, you want to love him back. And that's why you make every effort. And that's what I was thinking about. Can you, how many, think back to the crazy things that you did, all of you, when you were madly in love. Anybody do some crazy things when you were madly in love? No? What a lame group. I'm serious, man. When you think about when you are falling in love, you will, the money you will spend, remember that, guys? Holy crow. The money you spend, the time that you will spend with them. Did anybody get any sleep like when you were first in love with somebody? You don't get any sleep. You're broke. The effort you will make to be with them. Why? Well, because, you know, I'm making every effort. No, it's like because I, just, <laughs> I am all over you. And... And I will just give myself, my buddy told me that, Larry, my buddy told me that his dad was stationed in the armed forces in Tennessee. 
and would drive on a weekend. He'd get a weekend pass. He would drive all the way to Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, where she was up in the Upper Peninsula. He'd have to drive over 14 hours to get there, spend less than 24 hours with her, and then drive 14 hours all the way back. And Larry just said, now why did he do that? And why would anybody do that? There's only one reason why you would do that. He was thinking in love with her. And when you love somebody, guess what you do? You make every effort. And is it effortful? Is that a word? It's effortless. You guys catch me? So I can tell you right now, if you're sitting here going, oh man, got to make every effort for God. Got to be good. Got to go to church. Got to be religious. You have so missed the boat. Why do you give your life back with everything that you've got? Because you have been loved with everything he had. And if you're sitting here today, and the full extent of your love is I get up early on Sunday. If the full extent of your love is I just do one, if, if, if you haven't ever experienced the fullness of giving your life to Jesus, I would say it's probably because you have yet to taste the fullness of his love for you. Because you basically, you just give back what you've been given. And if you're struggling here today, you're a follower of Jesus, and you're kind of struggling in your faith, um, I want to encourage you. My bet the first thing you need to do is you need to know how much Jesus loves you. Oh, Pat's in here. I wish I could tell your story right now. I drove with this guy a couple weeks ago, and he just shared that was his story. Walked with Jesus, knew Jesus for years. And it wasn't until he was blown away by how much Jesus Christ loved him. Changed your life, didn't it? And nothing else did until Jesus overwhelmed him. Man, that's what I need. Anyway, okay, we gotta go. Whew. Why make every effort to add to these things? Because you're so stinking loved. You're so loved. You have so much that God could give you, but you also need to give yourself to God. And that's the only way you actually know him. So if you're religious today, I'm so sorry. That is, it is very painful. I, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. If you're a religious person today, oh God, have pity on your soul. Because if you're trying really hard to be good, that's, I'd say nastier words than I can say. It stinks to do that. But if you've received from God, whew, it's awesome. So make, add, make every effort to add to these things. And then let's go to verse 8. He says, because... If you possess these qualities, this goodness and this knowledge, this self-control, this uh, perseverance, this godliness, brotherly kindness and love, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And last week, you guys, again, this is the whole key. It's what I'm, I'm going to share this with you till I'm blue in the face. The only thing that matters in life the only thing that matters once you die and you get to heaven is going to be, did you know him? Jesus says that this is eternal life, that you know me. Everything we need comes from knowing him. If you don't know him, then you don't have everything that he wants to give. And again, what does it mean to know him? Can we put the, just keep the graphic up there instead of the, uh, um, with the, instead of the words? That'd be awesome. Because I just want to keep pointing you to that and I can't really see it. Um, what it means to know him, again, don't even put them together yet. But no, Oh, there he goes. Darn. All right. So anyway, but what it means to know him, you guys, is this. Again, if this is God, 
and he's always moving, and this is us, and we're not, and he, he does move. Um, but what that means is, we talked about this last week, I have to get him into my life, into every area of my life. And I have to engage into his life. You can sit back and learn things about God, and you'll never know him. It's not until you let him in and until you engage in him. And then when that happens, so how do I know him? Apparently, by what Peter's telling us, the way I know him is by possessing these qualities in increasing measure. And he says, now, if you do that, make every effort to add these things into your life, into, um, oops, I, into your faith. If you do that, then he says two things will happen. You will not be, if you, go ahead and throw the verse back up here, verse 8. He goes, they will keep you from being two things, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of him. Can I tell you what those words mean? You know what ineffective means? It's the word that's used for being idle. <laughs> Anybody idle? If you're going to idle your car, what do you do? Push in the clutch. What's the clutch? When you do that, what happens? You disengage. Do you move? Uh-uh. Guess what? Anybody in here? Don't raise your hand. Anybody in here feel idle with God? Anybody in here feel disengaged from God? See, he says there's a way to not have that happen. The other thing he says is, oh, can I have the verse back up there? So sorry. really want to teach this one. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. You know what that word means? No fruit. No fruit. That's what the word means. It means you're not fruitful. And here's Jesus. Remember in John 15, what he says to us, he says, if you, what? Remain in me. If you remain engaged in me, what does he say? You will. Anybody? You will bear much fruit. And here's Peter now telling us, can I, just, can I just share with you guys? Here's how you can make sure that your knowledge of God isn't ineffective, idled, not doing anything, and how you can make sure that your knowledge of God is unfruitful. Anybody in here feel like fruit? I don't, I've had no fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those are just, that, I don't know if people who know me would describe me that way. What Peter is saying is, you guys, make every effort to add these things because if you do, if you do, they will keep you from being ineffective. They will keep you from being unfruitful. Ah, man, this is good stuff. All right. So if we do these things, and then he says, what do they need to do? You need to possess them and they need to be in increasing measure. They need to be in increasing measure. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, please, man, listen to this one because this is critical. It does not say once you get these things down perfectly, your knowledge of God will be effective and productive. This is what I am trying to tell myself. I don't know if you're like me. I want it all. And so when I don't have it, I beat myself up. And what I've been thinking is, you know what? I'm not really going to know God. And my, my knowledge of him isn't going to be effective and productive, fruitful and engaged until I get this down. I read that and I'm like, thank you so much for telling me that. It's, I don't have to get them down. I don't have to be perfect in this. What do they need to be doing? They just need to be increasing. 
In fact, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, we will be increasing in our uh, likeness of Christ with an ever-increasing glory. Which means what? Do you ever get there? See, if it's ever-increasing, you never get there until we die and we're changed. So I just finally went, oh, cool. This is awesome. I can chill just a little bit here. I don't have to be perfect. I can't do that. But what I can do is make sure that I'm moving along the process. And he says, as long as you got them, these seven things, and as long as they're increasing in your life, you will be fruitful and you will be effective in your knowledge of God. I love that. See, I want to know Susie, man. I want to know her. I I, I feel like I do, but I know we're going to be married forever. And I want to know her more and more. Now, what drives me to want to know her? Fear? You know? (laughs) Do I have to go? No. There's only one drive for me to know her. Because I love her. Because she loves me. And that's the same thing with God. As we increase in our knowledge of each other, our marriage is better. It's just better. And the same thing is true for you. As you increase in your engagement with God, your life will be more fruitful. And it'll be more effective. And Jesus came so you could have life to the full. So you would have a rich life. So you would have every spiritual blessing. And that's what he has for us. So here we go. Now I'm going to hit three things in these next three verses about how this happens. There's three things we're going to talk about. Peter says, if you add these things in, they're increasing, you're effective, you're productive in your knowledge of God, you know him now, he's in you, he's giving you everything that you need for life, and it takes care of three things. Your past, your present, and your future. Listen to this, look at verse 9. If anyone does not have them, okay, now what, what are them? If anyone does not have goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. If anybody doesn't have those things, he is nearsighted and blind, and he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. So, again, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, and you would say, you know what, I'm not being real good right now. Um, I don't know squat about God. Um, In fact, I haven't persevered. I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of just quitting I'm bagging the thing. Um, God is not the center of my life. I'm not really kind to people, and I don't love you. If that is where you're sitting there today, then basically what he's saying, what Peter says is, then you've become nearsighted and blind, and you've forgotten something. You've forgotten that in the past, he did what? He cleansed you from your past sins. Now, if I have these things, then I know God. I'm engaged. But if I don't have these things, then I'm that. Basically, that's what Peter's saying. If you, if you don't have this goodness and knowledge and all that kind of stuff in your life, then, then you haven't engaged with God because God is good and God is perseverance and God is love and he is brotherly kindness and he is, he, he is those things. And so the result, Peter says, is once you become like that and you become disengaged with God, he says what happens is you become nearsighted and blind. What does that mean? When I first read that, I'm like, I have no idea. Nearsighted can also mean short-sighted. And here's the other thing that's interesting. It can also mean to shut your own eyes. See, so it could be translated like this. 
you're blind because of the shutting of your own eyes. So in other words, two things can happen. If that's you today and you're like, you know what, I'm a follower of Christ, but I've got to be honest, nobody would know that because I'm, really, I'm not engaged in his life right now. Two things can happen. You can now all of a sudden not see reality where at one time you used to see God so clearly. Now you don't see him so clearly anymore. You used to know him and, and you don't really know him that well anymore. It's, it's, it's when all of a sudden, as a follower of Christ, you know that you are not living a life that actually pleases him. This is when you guys, and this happens to all of us, I think, unless you're a super Christian. I haven't met him yet, but maybe he's out there. But for all the rest of us normal Christians, it's what happens when all of a sudden you're living a life that you don't want to live. And you don't know how you got there. Anybody relate? All of a sudden, you wake up one morning, you look in the mirror, and you go, I am a total jerk. I'm a jerk to my wife. I'm a jerk to my kids. I don't give a rip about people at work. I don't have any self-control. I mean, all of a sudden, you get there. And what Peter's trying to help us to see, it's like, okay, you know what happened here? Somehow, you didn't engage. You didn't add these things in increasing measure. And so what happened was you disengaged from God. And if you're not engaged with God, then you don't have the power to do those things, Okay. So the other thing that happens, this is so interesting. He says, you actually forget that you have been cleansed from your past sin. Very interesting. You become nearsighted and blind, and you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sin. You know what I thought about? I don't know if, if your guys' kids did this. All of my kids did this, right? They go like this, and they go, you can't see me. You guys remember that? I mean, I just, used, I just thought that was the cutest thing. It's like they close their eyes and they think you can't see them. And I think that's exactly what we do with God. All of a sudden it's like, you can't see me. I'm doing this stuff and you don't know it. And really what has happened is you're the one who got blind. Believe me, God's seeing the whole deal. And you somehow all of a sudden disengaged with God because you weren't adding these things to your life. You started disengaging from him, and now you're totally doing stuff that you don't want to do. And what the Bible is saying is Peter's going, and you forgot something. Again, I'm just talking to you followers of Christ. You forgot. You were cleansed from your past sin. Jesus didn't die for you just so you get into heaven. Jesus died for you to cleanse you from your sin. Look at this verse, Titus chapter 3, verse 5. It says, he saved us. Oh, We all love that part. He saved us, how? Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Why? So that, having been justified by his grace, which we all like, thank you, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying having having the hope of eternity is a bad thing. That's a really good thing. But then look at the next part. And... This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, that would be all you followers of Jesus, may be careful to do what? Devote yourself. Give it all you've got. Make every effort to doing what is good. These things are excellent, most excellent, and profitable for everybody. See, So let me just tell you, 
If you're struggling today, you feel disengaged from God, you feel idle, there's no power to move forward, and you don't feel fruitful, then Peter's saying, then probably you stopped adding these things to your life, and you know what happens too? You forgot. You were cleansed. You were cleansed. You were made new. You were a new creation in Christ, and you've forgotten that. I hope today you'll remember today that God could say through his word to you, if you're a follower of mine, do you remember? I made you new. Don't forget that. All right, so that takes care of the past. Now, how about the present? Let's look at verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Last night, we went to this football game, and uh, at halftime, they, they let the, anybody go out on the field and throw stuff through this, you know, this little deal. And so Mariah and Ashton were like, hey, let's do it. So they're hopping down the, you know, the, all the bleachers, and they go down, and Caleb wanted to go. And so he, I said, just go down the stairs. He goes down the stairs, full blast. He's cruising right in front of everybody. Bam! Just spread eagle. You know, and everybody's like, oh, you whole crowd, oh. You know, I'm like, you know, going down to rescue my kid. See, that is tripping and falling. I'll never forget when I was doing youth ministry in Ohio. You guys, are, you know, when you do youth ministry, you guys, are, you guys are the youth over here. But when you do youth ministry, you're in your, you're, you're your mid-20s and stuff. You're trying to be at least, you know, someone they don't think is a total jerk and a geek. And I'm at their track meet, and I'm timing uh, at the end of the track meet. And they have this stand, and I'm up probably about this high, actually. And I'm standing right there with a stopwatch. And it's a day like today, just rainy, it's gross, there's puddles all over the place. And I, the guy comes across, bam, I hit him like that. And I look at my watch, and I got it, and I went to jump off to go give the time, and my toe tripped on this thing, spread eagle right into a mud puddle. Just swoosh. And, I, and you know what? That's exactly what everybody else did too. I mean, where's the mercy? You know, where's the grace? The whole stands, all the students, everybody is laughing at me, and I'm laying face first in the mud. Now, spiritually, Some of you have been cruising and you tripped, spread eagle. Some of you are so dirty and grimy right now and you're ashamed. So hard to go to God. It was hard to be here this morning. You're hoping nobody finds out what you're doing. You are face first in the mud. I love it. And he says, I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, if you do these things, you're never going to fall. Wow. What does it mean to not fall spiritually? Does that mean we're never going to stumble? Hello. That is not what it means. We are going to trip. We are going to fall. In fact, John said it as well. He goes, man, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar. Okay? So I'm not saying you're not going to fall. You're not going to stumble. You're not going to trip. When he talks about fall here, he goes, you will not fall away from God. You will not fall into a complete insecurity or fear or doubt. And the opposite, you guys, of insecurity is being sure. And he says that in this very passage. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager, which actually is the same word in the Greek for make every effort. Give it all that you've got to make your calling and your election sure. Not insecure. Not in, like some of you might be sitting here today and you're going, you know, I'm just not really sure if God, if I really am his child. I'm not, I'm not really sure if I will go to heaven when I die. I'm not sure. And I'm like, the Bible is, can I just tell you this? I am so freaking sure of where I'm going. I have no qualms whatsoever. Do I step and fall? Man, I, I have got, I have fallen in the mud as a pastor so many times. And that's when I go, thank you, Jesus. 
thank you, Jesus. I mean, when you fall in the mud and other people are looking at you going, oh, who do you think you are? Oh, see, look at you. You're in the mud. It's like, I know. Yeah, I'm in the mud. That's why I need Jesus. So I'm not saying that's not going to happen, you guys. But the one thing that you can know is you can be absolutely sure, you can be steadfast, and you can be firm. And he says, make every effort to make your calling that. Because his divine call, you were called. I know I was called. I, you know, like I shared last week, I didn't run after God. I tried to run away from God. He just ran faster. And so when he does that to your life and you know that he's chosen you, chill. But get out of the mud because you weren't created to wallow in mud. And that's why the gospel is there. Here's the deal. He calls you, but that calling does not come without effect. Okay, now, I got some hard stuff to share. Here we go. Here's a quote. It is not our profession of faith that guarantees that we are saved. It is our progression in the faith that gives us that assurance. I said this last week. Remember Jesus said, a lot of people in that day are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And what's he going to say? I never knew you. And what does that mean? Again, what it means to know is you're engaged. He's going to say, I had nothing to do with you. You had nothing to do with me. Some of you grew up in church. Oh boy. Okay. Some of you grew up in church and you think because you did that you're saved. I, I have read this whole thing. I've never seen that in there. Some of you at one point said a prayer and you, you know, someone said, repeat after me and you repeated after them and, um, and nothing ever changed at all, but you said the prayer and you think you're saved. I, I have yet to see in here where it says, repeat after me a prayer and you're saved. What it says in here is that you receive Christ into your life and you give your life to Christ. And when that happens, a transaction happens, and you're never the same again. So I told Susie, I'm like, oh, but I just need to tell you this because I got to face him today. And as I shared with you last week, the Bible tells me I'm going to be more held, I'm going I'm to be held more accountable than you are to make sure that you've heard the truth. And here's the truth. You are not saved by your profession of faith. You are saved by faith. And the only way you're going to know if you have faith is there will be fruit. That's why James says, without works, your faith is dead. Because if you, if you actually have it, then you've engaged. Now go ahead and put those two gears together. If you have it, then you take a step of faith. Wow, check that out. Um, and all of a sudden, the gear engages with the other one. So, I'm created in Christ. I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by receiving his grace. But then now I'm created in Christ to do good things. And Peter just says, man, if you do these things, you engage with God, you'll be effective and productive in your knowledge of him, and you have it, so exercise it. I just want to encourage you guys. For some of you, you have faith. You really do. You just haven't exercised it in so long. (laughs) Again, I went to this football game last night. I don't care, man. If you played football, it's in your blood. I'm 44 years old. I'm sitting in the stands going, man, I I should be out there. You know, 
It's just, it's just in me. I just, I just want to engage. So I asked the gal who, who, whose, whose uh, husband actually uh, helps own the team. And she, I said, how old are these guys who are out there? And she goes, yeah, most of them are in their 20s and stuff. She goes, but number one out there, and he was a stud. She goes, she, he, she goes he's 43. I'm like, you go, boy. That was, I mean, that's, I mean, and, and why can he be out there on the field playing? Because he has exercised and I haven't. I just talked to a friend. Um, <laughs> I, I talked to a friend who just ran the half marathon, and she just says, man, after a while, she goes, I get a runner's high, and I could just keep going. I go, I have never had a runner's high. I get the runner's sigh. Anybody else? I'm like, <laughs> why? Well, because Jill runs, and I don't, I guess. That might be the thing. You know, when I was in eighth grade, I broke my arm playing football. Anybody ever break your arm and have a cast on your arm for six weeks? When they take off the cast because you haven't exercised your arm, it's like this big. It's like all muscle strength is gone. You have it, but it doesn't do you any good. And some of you have faith in Jesus. I believe in Jesus, and it's doing you no good. Right? Because you haven't added to your faith these seven things. But if you add them, you will engage with God, and his power will come into your life. He will change you, and you'll start to be the person that you were to be. I got to run. So that's it. In this life, God can help you not to fall away. He can give you everything that you need. The last one is the future, verse 11. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Jesus Christ, Savior Jesus Christ. Ah, when you die, are you ready? Man, are you ready to to have a rich welcome? And you know what this phrase is? The phrase is, it's the phrase the Greeks used for the Olympic winners when they came back to town. Oh, I'm I'm a sports guy. Come on, man, have you seen the ticker tape parades? I mean, when the people win the Super Bowl, I mean, when the Lions win the Super Bowl, I'm telling you, I know I'll be 85, but I'm telling you, I will be there just to be because when they come home, Detroit is going to explode. It'll be nuts. You guys have seen the pictures of World War II, right? When the soldiers came, I love the pictures. of Just the stuff is everywhere. You guys, that is so going to pale into comparison. When you don't breathe anymore down here, and you walk into heaven as one who knew Christ. And when Jesus says, I knew you, it is going to be a rich welcome into heaven. And I tell you, I want it. I want it all. I got one small little life. And he says, Nelson, you could be living it to the full. You could be so rich. You could be so productive. You could be so effective. And I've tasted it. I've seen it. It is good. But I know I haven't even come close to it. How about you? So here's the deal. Band, come on, come on up. Here's the deal. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? The first thing, can I just say, for any of you who are sitting here today, and you're like, dude, I've never even tasted that. <laughs> I maybe have smelled it from a distance, but I haven't tasted that. I have yet to have received the gift of faith. And here's what's cool. I can't give it to you. In fact, you can't give it to yourself. But I can tell you this. You know, I'm telling you, you know right now if the living God is knocking on your heart. You know right now. And what he says is, then receive me. Let me come into your life and give me yours. Engage in my life. 
For some of you, that's what you need to do today. For some of you, you have received Christ and you have been so disengaged, so idle, so unfruitful. I want to tell you, one of the greatest things you can ever do is just confess that to God. (laughs) Just tell Him today everything He's showing you that isn't right and just confess it. And He says, confess your sin and repent and what? Receive times of refreshing from the Lord. If you confess your sin, He'll be faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. And you could walk out of here free. And what else do we do? We do seven more weeks nailing every single one of these things that he says, if you add these, if you get these into your life, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Anybody out there want to be kept from being ineffective and unproductive? I mean, don't, if you've tasted him, don't you want him? If you've been fruitful, don't you want fruit just out of your life? Here's seven weeks of Peter saying these things right here. Get them in and go for it. And that's what we're going to do. So, as Sam begins to lead us in worship, it's going to a new song. It's called Just Chasing. <laughs> I'm running after you, God. Give it all you've got. He's given you. He loves you. Go after him. And that's how we're going to worship today.